2 Kings 4 is the gospel according to Yahweh. And I've been excited to preach this chapter ever since 1 Kings 18. Because since 1 Kings 18, it has been nothing but holy wrath. Holy wrath week in and week out against an apostate church and an evil state. And Baal cultists and kings have been dropping like flies ever since 1 Kings 18. And we've seen how the Lord handles an apostate church and an apostate state. And then today we get to take a break, a moment, a break from the state to see how God deals with his people under said false leadership. It's the gospel according to Yahweh. That's the title of my sermon this morning. The gospel according to Yahweh. And the gospel according to Yahweh begins with misery. And so we read in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. Chapter 4 begins with death. Poverty and potential enslavement. It doesn't get any worse. The loss of a husband in the ancient Near East left a widow little hope for her future. The only future she had was with her sons. The family name, the family home, and her life resided in her sons. And the loss of her children to creditors, enslavement, killed her hope took away her peace, robbed her of joy, and left her without security. Tragedy sets the scene. Tragedy sets the scene before us. The opening verse of chapter 4 is the fall. Sin is poverty, enslavement, and death. The fall is the broader context, but the more immediate context is actually King Ahab, Israel's antichrist king, the offspring of the serpent who poisoned Israel, whose venomous line spread from king to king, poisoning and destroying all before Israel. And the people now suffered his ungodliness. They suffered the state under Baal, Baal who was the supposed god of life. Yet he was only an agent of death, for idolatry is a grievous sin. And idolatry enslaved, robbed, and killed God's people while they worshipped Baal for life. That is the stupidity of sin. You know it's stupid, but still you do it. We know sin is stupid. Just like the Baal prophets Just like Israel worshiping the Baal prophets provided nothing for them. Baal provided only misery, yet still they returned to Baal. Day in and day out. Just like we trust sin. We trust sin and fall to its misery too. So we believe lying protects us. That's why we lie. We believe it protects us. We believe stealing provides for us. We believe adultery and covetousness satisfy that they only kill 
We so easily look to sin for our only comfort in life and in death. And the results are always the same. Sin and misery. And like a dog, we return to its vomit of temptation over and over again. And what happens to God's sinful, miserable people? Verse 2. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? God's representative on earth said to this poor, miserable woman, What shall I do for you? At this point, it's important for us to know Elisha's name. What does Elisha mean? Elisha's name means Yahweh delivers. Yahweh delivers asks this poor, miserable woman, What shall I do for you? This is the gospel according to Yahweh. The story begins with sin and misery, and now, and now we will see God, Elisha, his people. Yahweh delivers. He delivers, delivers us from sin and misery. What shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. You see, inside the house... God has promised God's people inside their house will be abundance. Inside the house will be provision, peace. And so inside a peaceful house, there needs to be plenty. Plenty gives you peace. Yet in her home, in the place of security, abundant provision, there is only scarcity. This too is the fall. She has nothing in the home. And that's because Satan seeks to destroy the home, destroy the home, destroy the family, destroy the family, destroy society. She has nothing. He says to her, go outside. Go outside, borrow vessels from your neighbors, empty the vessels, not too few, then go in and shut the door behind yourself, your sons, and pour all the vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went in, shut the door behind herself. Shut the door behind herself, shut the door behind her family, started pouring oil, the oil flowed, give me more jars, filled up the jars, it's all over. She leaves the house, goes outside. He says, go sell the money on the outside, come back inside, you'll have enough. There's this theme, if you look at the text, there's this theme of inside and outside. The theme of inside, outside. Inside brought oil that she could sell outside in order to provide peace inside the family. The inside-outside theme that you see in this text is redemptive history. Where God calls outsiders, insiders. The gospel according to Yahweh, he called Ahab, or excuse me, Abram from the outside. He called him from Ur of the Chaldeans, Babylon, the archetype idolatry. The archetype idolater of scripture is Babylon. Where does Abraham come from? Babylon. He calls him from Babylon, an outsider, to be inside the promised land, to be God to you and to your children. This is the gospel according to Yahweh. He makes outsiders insiders. Listen to 1 Peter 3.21. 1 Peter 3.21, Peter writes, Baptism, which corresponds to this, the flood, now saves you. Ooh, baptism saves you. Oh, no. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, 
but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Christ. Baptism corresponds to Noah. Noah and his family. Insiders. Protected from the outside. The outside was hostility. The outside was death. A flood. But the inside... To you and to your children. Life, provision, care. Baptism is the gospel according to Yahweh. Baptism is God's promise to insiders, first through circumcision and now baptism. God promises to love and to protect and to deliver. And to deliver you and your children, your home. Baptism is God's promise to your home. I love infant baptism because infant baptism is God's promise to the very inside of my existence. It is God's problem to the core of who I am as a father. It is God's promise to the core of who I am as a man raising children that God will be God to me and to my little ones. That he will protect them. God's promise is this. That my little ones will go out into the hostile world. I send them out into the hostile world every day. And it's scary as a parent to send your little ones. All right, go get on the bus. But I have God's promise. That though they are in this hostile world, God will preserve them. God will care for them through the hostility of this evil world. God may take our little ones. The most grievous pain a parent can ever have to lose a child. And baptism gives hope to the grieving parent that though your kid is now outside of the family, lowered into the ground, away where he should not be, but baptism promises that he is inside the arms of our faithful father. He is inside his arms. He is well. And he can be well with our soul, even in the midst of loss. Baptism frees our home from the devil. Baptism frees our home from the devil. Baptism takes us safely through this hostile world. That is the gospel, according to Yahweh. Verse 8 one day Elisha went on to Shunem where there was a wealthy woman who had urged him to eat food. And when, she, when he had passed away, she, he would turn there to eat. And she says, hey, let's build this guy a, a place up on the roof. She's wealthy. She can provide a place on the roof. She can finish the roof off. She can furnish it. All this is just showing us how wealthy she is. She's so wealthy, she can add to her, her place. and She can furnish it well, and she can feed the man of God. She's wealthy, but the text says one thing clear. She did lack. Though she had all this money and his material possessions, she still had need. She was rich, but lacked a son. Now, I'm going to say right off the bat, daughters, you are special. The priority of the sons in Scripture is not necessarily the priority of Scripture. It is Scripture's giving us the fact of history. In the ancient Near East, in the ancient Near East, all household rights 
inheritance, the continuation of the household name, went through the oldest son. You middle children, and <laughs> you're out just as well as the daughter. Oldest son. I'm the oldest, so it's good to be king. Household name went to and through the oldest son. The point of the wealthy woman that we read in this text was that she was needy. She lacked. And what she lacked, her husband being very old, the text says, what she lacked, only Yahweh could provide. Verse 12. And he said to Gehiza, his servant, call this Shunammite. It's very interesting, he never talks to her. When he had called her, she stood before him, and he said to him, the, the Gehazi, say now to her, which she's standing right there in front of him, see, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on, on your behalf to the king, to the commander of the army? Again, God's representative asked this woman who was in need, what shall I do for you? Yahweh delivers, asks, what shall I do for you? You see, Yahweh not only delivers us from our sins and miseries, Yahweh gives us all that we need for body and soul. And he said to her, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And I love the woman's response, like Sarah, no, no, my Lord. That's how you should read this. <laughs> no, my Lord. Have you seen the old man? <laughs> oh, man of God, do not lie to your servant. See, she doubts the promise like Sarai, right? Abraham's too old. Sarai's too old. But God is faithful to his promises. Verse 17, but the woman conceived and bore a son. About that time, the following spring, as Yahweh delivers, had said. This is the gospel according to Yahweh. He delivers all that we need, all that we need, body and soul. But no sooner than God gave, than God took away. When the child had grown, verse 18, he went out one day to his father among the reapers. He said to his father, my head, my head. The father said to his servant, carry him to his mother. And when he lifted him, brought him to his mother, set the child on her lap till noon. Then he died. Her son died on her lap. No greater tragedy than losing a child. And to lose a child in your arms must be overwhelming pain. The poor child sat in her lap and there was nothing she could do as he breathed his last. This is the fall. It's the context. It's the context of this chapter. It's the fall. Sin, misery, and death. But it's also the gospel according to Yahweh. So there will be resurrection. Verse 21. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shuts the door behind. There's that whole behind scene again theme. Then she called to her husband, said to him, send me one of the servants of the donkeys and go quickly to the man of God. Come back. And he argues to her about the new moon and the Sabbath. She's like, all is well. She runs. She goes. She sets out to the man of God. Now, when the man of God saw her, verse 25, coming, he said to Gehiza, his servant, look, there's the Shunammite. Now, notice verse 26. Here, underline this. Run at once to meet her. Running is a very interesting command. Run. You don't run in the ancient Near East. There's no running. That's why I want to go back there. 
There was no running in the ancient Near East. You didn't run. You couldn't run. You literally couldn't run because you had this big, long tunic so you didn't expose any flesh for various reasons, one of them prudence. So you really couldn't run. The only way to run in the ancient Near East was to pull up, tie off your tunic, make it kind of like shorts, but to do that, you would expose a little leg. And a little leg in the ancient Near East, why very immodest. Yet he commands Gehazi run. Because this is the gospel, according to Yahweh. Yahweh delivers commands running because Yahweh runs after his people in need. He forgoes social norms and customs to deliver his people. The gospel, according to Yahweh, he runs to deliver. He does what it takes to give life to his people. You see, we are more valuable to God than this world and its ways. And the woman met the servant with all is well. How's it going? All is well, but it was a lie. Verse 27, And when she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi came to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone, for she is in bitter distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Gehazi sought to push her away because she was acting very impiously. She broke ancient Near Eastern custom, breaking into the house unannounced. She broke un Near Eastern decorum, grabbing a hold of a man, his leg. But he says, leave her alone. Then she said, verse 28, did I not ask my Lord for a son? I didn't ask you for a son. I didn't ask for this. Did I not say deceive me? I didn't ask for this. You are the one who promised that I would have a son. And the implication was that I would have a son to take the place of my husband. That he would take the place of his father. Yet now he's dead. And Elisha doesn't reprimand her like with the kings. When the kings challenged him, and the kings went for, for went decency as well. And he attacks, but not for this bitter soul. He doesn't attack, attack, he acts. He acts for her. This is the gospel according to Yahweh. When we are faithless, he is faithful. Verse 29, he said to Gehazi, tie up your garment. There it is, tie it up. That's what you got to do to run. Just expose a little leg. Take my staff in your hand and go and meet. Run, go, deliver. Yahweh delivers, says, go, run, fast. He says, if, anyone, if you meet anyone, do not greet them. Go, forsake hospitality. Hospitality, a big deal in the ancient Near East. Don't even do hospitality. What? Don't do hospitality? No, go. Forsake all customs. Forsake all things. Deliver this child. Lay my staff on the face of the child. He commanded the, he commanded the servant to forgo all customs of hospitality. She was the only priority. And this is the gospel according to Yahweh. In your pain and misery, in your pain and misery, God hears your prayers as if you are the only one praying in the world. And God runs to deliver you as if you are the only one in the world going through trouble, as if you are the only one in need. 
You see, Christ died on the cross for you. And when Christ died on the cross, he died for you. He thought of you as if you were the only sinner in the world. You see, that is God's sovereign, infinite, eternal love just for you. Just for you. That is the gospel according to Yahweh. So Elisha sent his servant to heal. Nevertheless, she would not leave Elisha's side till her prayer was answered. She said, verse 30, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. The man of God seems to be moved by her pain. Good thing because the staff was ineffective. The staff didn't work. Verse 31, Gehazi went on ahead, laid his staff on the face of the child. There was no sound or sign of life. Therefore, he returned. He met them as they were going the way. He met them. He said, the child is not awakened. Ineffectual. The staff was ineffectual. Ineffectual because this is the gospel according to Yahweh. When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying on his bed. So he went in and shut the door. There's that inside-outside theme again. Behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself upon him, and the flesh of the child became worn. Here, Elisha, Yahweh delivers... For went Torah. And he drew intimately close to a defiling corpse. His eyes, his mouth, his hands united to the boy as if bodily united to his body, totally united to a defiling corpse. Yahweh delivers willingly defiled himself to deliver this covenant child. He became unclean in every part of his person. He took on the curse of Torah in his entire being. He became entirely cursed Reduced to the estate of curse, God's representative on earth, Yahweh delivers, defiled. And by his defilement overcame death. You know where I'm going. <laughs> this is the gospel according to Yahweh. And it's a happy ending. Verse 37. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. Gratitude, guilt, grace, gratitude. I love how Heidelberg is in every sermon because it's in every text. It's just there. <laughs> verse 37 or verse 38. It's a happy ending. It's the gospel according to Yahweh. Baal starves, Baal enslaves, Baal kills, but Yahweh feeds, Yahweh frees, Yahweh gives life. This is the polemic. This text is the polemic against Baal. Yahweh is the God of life. Yahweh is the God of goodness and grace, a grace greater than our sin. It's the goodness of God's love for you and your children, for the inside, the very existence of who you are. God loves and cares and protects and provides. This text, like the rest of all those chapters we've been looking at in 1 Kings 18, this text is actually holy war. 
just like all those previous texts. You see, the gospel is a double-edged sword. The gospel kills and destroys evil. And as a minister of the gospel, I must wield that double-edged sword. And I must attack evil from the pulpit. Just like Jesus publicly attacked Pharisees and Sadducees, and the Apostle Paul even named his victims. Stay away from these guys, Hymenius and other Greek names I can't pronounce. <laughs> you see, if you publicly sow weeds of heresy and discord, a proper ministry will attack and fight for the gospel, with the gospel. But the proper ministry, and here's the distinction, the pulpit never attacks the sheep. That's the proper distinction. We destroy ideas and strongholds of evil men and ministers who are falsely proclaiming false ideology, but we had never attacked the sheep. Those are God's sheep, Christ's sheep. The gospel of, according to Yahweh, attacks evil but comforts his people. The gospel, according to Yahweh, destroys the false church, but, but frees and preserves and gives life to his people. This is holy war, God's provision. Verse 38, Elisha came again to Gilgal. There was a famine in the land. Again, the curse. The curse sanctions for idolatry in Torah is what? Famine in the land. There's famine in the land. This is the fall. Remember, we're in the fall. All these wonderful blessings. Misery, sin and misery. Death. Starvation, famine in the land. The sons of the prophets were sitting before him, said to his servants, he said, put a large pot on, let's boil some food. Let's eat. In the first scene here, this next scene, uh, concerns foraging, foraging gone wrong. The prophets were so hungry, they had to go to the wild to eat. And if you don't know the wild, the wild will kill you. <laughs> <laughs> you need to know that in Montana. The wild out there, it's beautiful. But if you don't know it, it will kill you. And they went to the wild. Put these gourds in, some kind of poison, like finding mushrooms in your yard. Don't eat those mushrooms unless you know what you're doing. I still wouldn't eat them. But, you know, one time I found a morel in my yard. And I was like, oh, look, a morel. Where I had a fire and there was a morel. And I was like, oh, a morel. But I was like, but there's also false morels that kill you. So I'm not touching it. Uh, gave it to my brother. He ate it. He lived. So it was good. It was a morel. <laughs> I mean, there's good things and there's false things. That's what I hate about the wild. There's morels and there's false morels. It's like, oh, just stay away. Go to Safeway. He said, then bring flour. He threw it into the pot and said, pour some out of the men. They ate and there was no harm in the pot. Yahweh delivers, delivered this food, fed his people. Wonderful story. But then there's more need. Verse 42, a man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God bread and first fruits and grain in his sack. And Elisha says, give it to everybody. Give it to all the prophets. Give it to all the, the people of God. He's like, I don't have enough. There's not enough to go around. He says, thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. They shall eat and have some left. Verse 43. Thus says the Lord, feed them. Yahweh delivers, says, feed my people. So he said it before them, and they ate and had some left according to the word of God. And notice, if you want to underline your Bible again, had some left. That's important. Had some left. This is the gospel according to Yahweh. 
It's overabundance. Overabundance oil, overabundance life, overabundance food. They had some left. Overabundance is the gospel according to Yahweh. Overabundant delivery. You see, under the shadow of an apostate king, under Ahab's shadows, Israel suffered sin and misery. Under that wicked state and the wicked church at the time, God's people found life by God's faithfulness and power, despite the outside hostility of the world. Inside, they were secure. We all find ourselves under the same shadow of death. Sin leads to death, yet the free gift of Christ is life. The gospel according to Yahweh is Jesus Christ. John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh to feed our weary souls from his life-giving body. John 8, 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, Jesus is the truth that saves us from the devil in his bondage of darkness. John 10, 10, Jesus says, the thief comes in to steal and kill. He comes in from the outside to the inside to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus says, I have come to give you abundant life. You see, Jesus is the good shepherd. He became unclean, reduced his state to a curse, became our curse, died in our place to deliver us from our sins and misery that we might be the righteousness of God. He's the good shepherd who laid his life down for the sheep. The cross is the gospel according to Yahweh. And it is abundant salvation, free and full. For in it, God promises to never let you go. It is the promise of salvation for insiders. The gospel is the promise of God for insiders, to you and to your children. But for outsiders, and as many as the Lord will call to himself, that outsiders may become insiders. And insiders find life and abundant joy from now to eternity. To the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, be glory now and forevermore. Amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.